Blog Talk Radio. Terminal fans, welcome to another show on another Sunday afternoon. Sun Guy with you. Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has to boast because his favorite place to holiday is the Barbary Coast. Coach Mike Jones on his way to the CAC. He's on assignment. He won't be joining us. But real quick, before we jump into the interview, if you're looking for some professional wrestling today, you have some out there. Warrior Pro Wrestling happening in Danville, Indiana today. It is their one-year anniversary show today. Midget Warrior Wrestling, I believe, wrapping up things in Fort Worth, Texas, but I believe still time to get down there, catch a few of the Midget Warrior stars up in our neck of the woods. Prestige Wrestling happening in Portland, Oregon today, as is Anarcho Pro Wrestling, as is Blue Collar Wrestling. So if you're in Portland, you've got a metric crap ton of pro wrestling happening right there in your hometown. So go support any or all of that. Without further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show today. He is out of the great state of Tennessee, wrestler, referee, man of many hats in our industry, Anthony Wayne. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. Good afternoon. Well, since today's your first time with us, I will lead you off with our traditional first-timer question. What led to you getting into the business of professional wrestling? Uh, When I was 11 years old, uh, more more moons ago, shall we say, than... uh, I'm beginning to want to admit, <laughs> but uh, when I was 11, my dad came to me and my mom. Uh, I was an only child, uh, grew up in the middle of nowhere in northern Oklahoma. Uh, we, we can get into a little more background if you want to in a few minutes, but uh, I uh, grew up there and uh, – Literally, the closest human beings that lived to us were a half mile away. You know, we lived in the middle of an oil field, and uh, my dad came to us that year, and he said uh, he asked me and my mom because we'd always do something when school let out for the summer. We'd always, you know, have a vacation. And he says that year in February, he says, okay, well, when school gets out this year, do you want to go to Disney World or do you want a satellite dish right now? And my mom and I thought about it, and we thought, well, 
we'll be in Florida for a week. <laughs> you know, we we'll have a we'll have a satellite dish every day to enjoy. So we picked the satellite dish, and the uh, day that they the uh, technicians came and installed it, and and I'm talking about I'm going back to you. You remember the old. I mean, they were like eight feet in diameter. Like, I mean, you could tune in Mars with these things. You know, the ones that was out in everybody's yard back then. The gray big uh, UFO looking contraptions. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was. That's that's how far back I'm going. Ninety two, and uh, the uh, technicians came and installed it that day and uh, showed us how to use the remote and everything and all that. And my mom's flipping through channels that afternoon and just happened to come by PBS, and it was 5 o'clock, and there's the uh, old Atlanta, the uh, WCW tapes from Atlanta. And I sat there and watched it, and she told me a little bit about how, because I'd never had any idea. She'd actually never, I was 12 years old, and I'd never heard her mention it, that when she was a little girl growing up in South Kansas, they would go all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and see wrestling, uh, her and her parents and sister. And uh, I'd never heard her mention that before, so we sat there and watched it. And it was literally an instant thing, you know. Even even as a child like that, I just somehow I just knew, you know, this is what I want to do someday. And the first match I ever saw was the Steiner brothers just absolutely taking apart these two underneath guys. And I remember it. I remembered it because time because one of them was in a mask and an outfit that was completely, I mean, neon lime green, and it it stood out so much that I never forgot it. And years later, in the business myself, uh, one night. In uh, oh shoot, I believe we were in. No, it wasn't Bowling Green, Kentucky. We were in. Uh, no, we were in Paducah. We were in Paducah, Kentucky, one night years down the road after I was in the business, and Rick Steiner versus Tracy Smothers was the main event, and I refereed it. And I told Rick about that, and I said, you don't happen. I said, there's no way, just out of pure curiosity, I said, there's no way you would remember who it was under that mask, would you? And he stopped and thought for a second, and he goes, you know what? That was Brian Pillman. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, just for one, the fact that it was – somebody on the level of Brian, you know, and two that he actually remembered. So it was just, it was, it was really neat, you know, to get to tell him about it and, and actually find out who that was, you know, that I'd remembered from the first match I ever saw all those years. That is definitely a good story. I had no idea Brian Pillman wrestled under a mask like that. 
you honestly want to know what I think happened? I think somebody no-showed that night, and he just jumped in there and did it for because just because they needed it. Most likely so, yeah. If I was strictly guessing, that's that's what I'd say. Now, you mentioned growing up in Oklahoma, and that was a big wrestling territory years ago. Uh, Leroy McGurk ran that territory for many years. Bill Watts, of course, bought him out in the late 70s and ran Mid-South Wrestling based in Oklahoma. Did you have people around you that was able to fill you in on sort of the history of wrestling in Oklahoma or was your only real knowledge at the time just what you were seeing on television with WCW? Oh, uh, when I started at uh, age 19, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I I was uh, I had uh, my trainer my trainer was somebody that had worked for uh, Leroy and for Watts both, and uh, he you know he told me a, he told me a lot about Bill, and he he talked a lot about Bill. He talked about all, all the other guys you know there like Jake and Freebirds and. You know, dug in and one man gang. You're just all those guys that have been that have been through there for for mid south. My my trainer was Mr. Ebony Tom Jones, and he had literally he'd been everywhere and knew everybody. I mean, there was there was nobody. I mean, you couldn't throw you couldn't throw a major name out there that he hadn't been in the ring with. He was he was just one of those guys. He'd been everywhere, and anything anybody needed him to do, you know, he could do it. And I was beyond blessed for just he how he was as a human, just a wonderful human being that he was, and let alone how talented he was in the ring and just about the business overall. I mean, I I wouldn't have traded him for nobody. To, to learn from. And when you get into the wrestling business itself, did you have any specific goal on what it was you wanted to accomplish, or were you in the business when you started to be in the business and fit in wherever you could fit into it? When I started... 19-year-old kid, didn't know Jack except the history of the business because, I mean, I I just – anything that had came along from age 12 the rest of the way, I just absorbed it like a sponge as far as the – the history of these of the business, who these guys were, what they'd done, where they'd been, and when I started in 2000, February 2000, what I wanted to begin with, of course, uh, little did we know what was going to happen. Of course, 
but I wanted to be the WCW Cruiserweight Champion. That's what I want. That is that's what I wanted out of it, because WCW was what I'd fell in love with first, you know. And it, it wasn't that I didn't love all wrestling, you know, WWF, you know, the the AWA tapes, you know. Of course, they were gone, but you know, had all the tapes, you know, the old Mid South, just you name it, you know. I, I loved every last bit of it, but if I would have told you. If you would ask me that same Oh, looks like he dropped the call. See if we can grab him back. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Nine three one. Okay. We'll try here in just a moment. Sorry for the technical difficulties this week. It's been one of those weeks, fans. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Nine three. Okay. We'll give it a few more seconds and try again. This is riveting. Very, very riveting here. Okay. Let's try this one more time. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Nine, three. All right. I will hit a sound clip and then... I will try again. Forwarded to an automatic voice message system. And still waiting. Okay. All right. Give me one second, fans. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. 
time. Hmm. Uh-oh. All right. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Just as we were getting started today here. Let's see. Hopefully Coach on his way to CAC is having less technical difficulties than we are here. All right, let me try this again. Hey, sorry about that. Not sure how we lost each other. I'm not sure. Sometimes technical difficulties occur, but... Uh, Last we heard, you were saying your goal was to be WCW Cruiserweight Champion. That That is what I wanted when I started. And uh, like I said, little did we know that uh, less than a year, uh, I don't even think we need to explain what happened less than a year after I, or uh, just a, a year and a month, excuse me, after I started, we all know what happened there, so that definitely would have never got the chance to come to fruition anyway. But that is what I wanted when I began. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the man that started the WCW Cruiserweight division gave it the name Cruiserweight is someone you don't normally associate with cruiserweight wrestling, that being Kevin Sullivan. Have you had a chance in your career to cross paths with the man that invented the cruiserweight division? When it comes to Kevin, it is not an, it's not an opportunity to cross paths. It is a blessing to get to know the man. Kevin is great. Uh, I've got the chance to work with him several times. Uh, he's been a guest in my home uh, when he's been in the Nashville area, and he is great. Uh, I absolutely love Kevin. Agreed. He is absolutely fantastic. A Turnbuckle Turmoil Hall of Fame member, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah, you got to visit with him several times. Many times we have logged many a mile together on the road, so very. Oh, that's with. awesome! I'd, that would be priceless. That would absolutely yeah. be priceless. Definitely, it is. Now, in your career, you wrestle and referee, and one of the things about pro wrestling is that. If you're in it for very long, you know injuries are going to pop up, be it to yourself or someone in the ring with you. What are some of the injuries that you've either experienced on your own or have been witness to in the ring? Uh, well, I'll start with a quick one. I'll give you a quick one on the witness uh one of the most gruesome things I ever saw happen uh, was as actually he was actually one of my 
uh, tag partners, uh, he was a lot more. It, it was it was literally like when I had barely started, and uh, I realize you know now that uh, they were putting me with him and a couple of others, you know, because they were so experienced, you know, and I could tag with them and and learn a lot, and I did. Uh, and his name was he worked as uh, Bad Boy Mike Crawford. And this was where I started at New Mid South Wrestling uh, with Tom, and it was it, to this day. I'm 22 years in now, and to this day, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen happen. He picked a guy up, uh, big guy. He 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 wasn't small himself, and he picked a a big guy up for a guy bigger than him up for that side. Uh, that side suplex that uh, the one that Dino Bravo used for a finish, he picked him up for that, and his ankle came apart under him. And he, I mean, it damn near. It, it, if it would have been any more, it would have punctured his boot. I honestly believe the bone would have punctured his boot. It was that bad. I mean, he had to have major reconstructive surgery. He was on crutches for months. Uh, went in physical therapy, you know, for it. It was it was awful. I can still picture it to this day, and that's it, it's that's one of the worst things I've seen personally happen. That's always a bad day in the office when someone's ankle blows. No one from first-hand experience. Oh, it 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 more than blew. It it went nuclear. I mean, it it was just gruesome to see. And as far as uh, I've got a laundry list of stuff that's happened to me, you know, especially. You know, being a smaller, being one of the smaller guys and everything, but uh, to top the list, extremely long story short, would definitely be, and uh, I can virtually guarantee, unless you personally know somebody that is in neurology or in the medical field, I can almost guarantee you're going to tell me you've never heard of this. The worst thing that ever happened to me myself was coming down with transverse, what's called transverse myelitis. I have not heard of it. I didn't figure so and don't feel bad because most people haven't because there's it's it's so rare that there's literally only one in so many millions people that actually ever contract it and what it is it it's so serious that it's actually you would actually say going by what it does to you and the way it affects you what uh, the most accurate thing that you could say that most people would know what you mean is it's basically a cousin of multiple sclerosis it's that bad and in fact when I Start when I first came down with it. The first couple of days I was coming down with it, 
they uh my doctor was actually that's that's the first thing she was scared of was that I was actually coming down with MS but thankfully it wasn't and what it is is that through either there is a virus that can cause it or it can be caused by trauma and injury so you know at the at the time uh, this was it was actually 6 years ago this month so at the time, you know, with 17 years of taking bumps, you know, and getting beat up, you know, it just it was just enough that it just wore it just wore out my spine. And what it does is your spinal cord actually swells up, and it basically shut the left side of my body off for about nine months. Mm. That- does sound rough. It it was it was indescribable. I mean, I uh, I spent a week in the hospital getting pumped full of IV steroids to get the swelling down, and I'm talking the most serious stuff that they could give me without hurting me. And uh, was in there for a week. Uh, I was in physical therapy for two months. Uh, I was walking with a cane for months. Uh, let's see, I had uh, two two MRIs to keep up with what was going on. Uh, a spinal tap, which if you've never had one, hope you never do. It was it's one of the worst experiences of my life. And it was it was just a horrible it, it was just horrible overall, and of course with the way just the type of person I am, it affected me mentally so much just because basically feeling like that everything that I could do was pulled out from under me the rug pulled out from under me on you know, within a couple of days' time as I was coming down with this, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I I mentally did not deal well with that at all, but thankfully, and I truly believe that it was because of the, the good shape that I, because I've always kept myself physically in good shape, you know, in the gym and everything, and I believe because of that, thankfully, it took nine months. It took the better part of a year, but I actually was able to wrestle again. And in the meantime, between that, uh, I refereed the whole time. Well, I'm glad you were able to recover from that. I'm glad you were able to find a way to stay in the business while you were recovering, too. Well, some of the some of the best advice I ever got was learn every job in the business, and then you'll always have a job in the business. I learned that as well, and it's always a very true statement. Now, you mentioned being on the IV steroids, and at one point in professional wrestling, there was an anabolic steroid problem. Uh, They were legal for a long period of time, and a lot of wrestlers took advantage of that and abused it. In the early 90s, companies were trying to clean that up, but it's been an off-and-on problem over the years. 
looking at the landscape where you're at, do you think that independent wrestling and even the wrestling business as a whole has cleaned up that problem for the most part, or do you think that there's still an ongoing steroid problem within the industry? Well, if if you ask me, if if I was going to put it in a really straightforward way, I don't believe that steroids in the wrestling business, which, uh, and j- just as a side note, uh, I know we're not ta- I know we're not talking about the what I I don't remember the name of the of, of the certain steroid that they gave me for that but and there are many different types of steroids but as far as what the guys and what athletes in other sports you know have abused and everything you know you had the you had the Barry Bonds home run thing you know can't say he really got the home runs because he didn't do it fairly he was gassed out of his mind you know and all that but I feel like if I was saying it that there's no more I don't truly believe that there's any more likelihood of the steroid use in the wrestling business ever being completely cleaned up any more than the likelihood that we're going to get illegal drugs off of the streets in Chicago and Los Angeles and Miami and New York. And you, you, you get what I'm saying. For sure. Yeah. I think it's some, it's something that's always going to be there. Now, another part of our industry that has been a little bit controversial in the last few years is bloodshed. There's been in the last several years more knowledge coming out of the medical field about what bloodborne pathogens can do in certain diseases and in a physical combat sport where there's Oftentimes, blood, a lot of people feel it shouldn't be introduced on purpose. Some people feel that there's still a place for it under the right circumstances. Some people want to see blood practically ever match. What's your own personal stance as it relates to blood in professional wrestling as it sits here today? To me, you know, if you're in, if you're in a type of, say, something like, and I probably don't even have to reference what match I'm talking about, you know, if you're in a Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard type deal, you know, I I think, you know, there could be something there for it, but just to for. For these ones that want to have it, you know, they and, and, and they want to see it, like you just said, you know, oh, every match, you know, it's just, I, I think that's ridiculous because, you know, it's just not necessary. I mean, you can, over, anything can be overdone. I agree with you there for sure. 
Now, speaking of overdone, we both know that travel is an essential part of professional wrestling. Very rarely do you have shows that you can just walk across the street from your house and be at the venue. You have to drive, you have to fly, trains, buses, whatever the case may be to get to these shows. What is the longest trip that you've made so far for your professional wrestling career? Uh, Number one would be getting in a car... Uh, well, uh, to be fair, I've got to include all of it. Leave Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, go to Owensboro, Kentucky. Get in a car with three other guys. And we went to do a loop around the Winnipeg, Canada area. And uh, if I'm remembering correctly... When we were up in that area, that put me in between uh, 25 and 30 hours from home. A full day plus just to get home from the shot. Oh, easily, easily. Uh, we, uh, We were actually gone for 11 days, and uh, we, we had a shot every day. We had a shot the day that we left. We the the last day we worked, we left. Uh, I forget the name of the little town. We did about we did several different little ta- little. We did Winnipeg and itself, which is a, a big city, and then we did uh, smaller towns surrounding it. And uh, the last day we uh, wrestled and uh, left after the main event, to do the straight-through drive back. So, yeah, it was it was crazy on that. And the other one uh, would come in a very close second would have been, uh, I left, this is when I still living in Oklahoma, and I left Ponca City, Oklahoma, where I lived, and I had a six-hour trip to Dallas, Texas, getting the van with, I'm wanting to say there were, we had a 15-passenger van, uh, pulling the ring and a trailer and everything, uh, the ring and all our luggage and everything was in a box trailer we was pulling behind us. And I'm wanting to say there was eight or nine of us guys in a 15-passenger Ford van and we went from there to Forest Hill, California, which is crossing a little over half of the entire United States, nearly. And it was uh, it was around 31 hours. And we uh, we uh, got to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, which and. Uh, that was uh, the halfway point of Arizona. I don't know if you've ever been through or not, but on Interstate 40, uh, Flagstaff is the halfway point. And me, you're 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 gonna laugh at this. I guarantee you. Me and the other guy that was driving, the guy that was driving, we were the only ones 
that were awake at the time because it was it was like after midnight you know we'd been on the road that long taking turns driving you know all that sort of thing and we go through flagstaff and we still had like three quarters of a tank of gas and we didn't think nothing of it we just wanted to keep trucking along and it was uh by the time we passed there it was I'm wanting to say it was about 2.30 in the morning, and we had no idea, because it was the first shot we'd done, you know, going out there, and we didn't realize that between Flagstaff, Arizona, which is in the middle of the state, and Kingman, Arizona, which is on the California border, you're crossing half the state of Arizona, which is, of course, one of our larger states with no gas station, no rest stop, no town, no nothing. And I I mean, it was literally like you see in the movies with freaking tumbleweeds rolling across and lizards running out in front of us on on the highway, you know, in the headlights. And we were still 30 miles from Kingman when the low fuel light came on. And this is the days there's no cell service come through in an area like that. We were in the middle of the desert. I mean, and low fuel light comes on 30 miles from Kingman. And me and Steve, the guy that was driving, we've never done so much praying in our life. And somehow, we coast into Kingman, the first gas station we see, he pulls in, and literally as we pull up to the gas pump, you hear of the van running out of gas. And we come into a stop, caused the other guys, you know, to start coming around and waking up and everything. And I just leaned over and whispered to Steve, I said, just get out and pump gas. Don't say a word. And we never even told them what happened. We didn't, we didn't even tell them we almost got stranded at two in the morning in the middle of the desert. Oh, man. That definitely would have been not a good road trip if you ran out prior to getting to the station. Oh, I don't, I don't know what we would have done. And and we made the – that was the first trip we did that one. And the, a year later, we went back out there again for the same thing. And the promoter was actually driving this time when we just happened to go through Flagstaff. And I got up and went to the front of the van, and I told him, I said, get gas. And he looks, and he looks at me, looks at the gas gauge, and he looks at me. He said, well, we're fine right now. I said, don't ask any questions. Just get gas. <laughs> we weren't about to. I was, yeah, I, I wasn't about to let us make that mistake again. I bet not. Oh, I don't know how prevalent this is in your area, but in the last several years, we've seen rustling shows popping up at bars quite a bit whether it's inside of the bar if they have space or if it's behind the bar in a parking lot or something where a lot of 
promotions like to promote adult-only shows in bars, have more of an intimate type of setting, be able to use more colorful language, uh, more hardcore type of matches. Do you yourself run into a lot of bar shows in your career? I would not say a lot. Uh, Definitely, I would not say a lot. I've done, to tell you the truth, I'm not even sure that I need both hands to count the bar shots that I've done, honestly. It just it just hasn't been that much. Now, just for your own personal taste, do you like doing the bar type of shows and the more adult-only crowd shows, or are you more of a fan of doing shows that are for a wider audience? Well, it's uh, I understand exactly what you're saying, but... To me, I'm sitting here going one, uh, just like you know, just like I was taught, you know. As far as I'm concerned, one, if you've got to get on the microphone and cuss your opponent or cuss the crowd or what have you, and that's the only way you can get a reaction out of them, stay off the microphone. And two, if you're sitting here looking at it in a business sense, why on earth, if you're a business person in wrestling or any other, literally any other business, if you're a business person, why on earth would you cut out that amount of potential paying fan base, meaning meaning all the younger people and everything, you know, from a 17-year-old teenager, 14-year-old girl, I've got an 8-year-old little girl, first grade daughter, whatever age it might be, under 18, why in your right mind would you cut cut them out and lose that paying fan base? Very true. I know a lot of promoters just stylistically like to see sort of the hardcore thing, but it always mystifies me that they exclude part of a fan base potential. Right. I just I just don't understand. I mean, there's the – I know you know the expression, shooting yourself in the foot. Well, if that ain't it, I don't know what is. I'll Speaking of the fan bases, I'm sure you know as well as I do that the fans in your area there in Tennessee are some of the rowdiest fans that are anywhere in the country. They can become very riled up very quickly, and it's not unheard of in Tennessee to hear of fans starting to riot and for the people in the business that talk about how they almost had the fans rioting when all they were doing were booing from the seats, they don't know what a true riot actually is like. Have you personally been in 
any situations where the fans were seemingly getting out of control to the point it got scary. With the uh, first of all, thankfully, not much. Uh, but the most recent one would have been just within the past. Uh, Oh, it ha- it hasn't been terribly long. Uh, in the past, I'm going to say it was inside of the past three years, and uh, we were in Lebanon, Tennessee, at the National Guard Armory, and uh, one of the guys did something on his way to the ring that uh, set off this one of those, you you know, the type that's always in the crowd. You know those one. Even if it's just one, every crowd has one. The one that thinks there's not a wrestler that comes out to the ring that he couldn't take himself, and this, that, and the other thing. And well, one of the guys did something that set him off, and he comes up, and they actually got into. They actually begun to get into a fight, and then the next thing, the rest of us in the dressing room know is Burt Prentice is running back there, busting the door of the dressing room open, screaming, fight, fight, we need help. So everybody went out there, and all the buddies that was with this, and family that was with this guy had gotten involved, and by the time, I mean, this is all literally in a matter of seconds, literally in a matter of seconds that fast, and because by the time we even got, from the dressing room, the rest of us, every it was it had already hit the fan and it was on. So there we go, and it all then eventually it all had to get broke up and people got kicked out and we went on with the night and the, you know but and that's that's the most recent one I personally had any involvement in, but but yeah, it was it was a mess. Sounds like a mess. In the last 20 or so years in the United States, there's been a lot more interest in the Lucha Libre style of wrestling and Mexican wrestling in general than there ever has been thanks to WCW bringing in so many of the luchadors for their cruiserweight division. It's a very different animal than the American style but we've seen a lot of Lucha Libre promotions popping up all over the United States. Do you see a lot of Lucha wrestling in your area, be it a one-off match on just a normal card or an all-Lucha group in the Tennessee area, anything like that? There, There is a guy uh, that uh, I cannot think of his name now to save my life. Uh, but uh, there is a uh, he, he's a luchador. He, he's a Mexican guy himself, and he is running uh, right up around Nashville on a fairly regular basis. And and he draws good. He he draws the uh, and and Tom taught me that was one thing Tom taught me when I started too. You know, you book a card, you want those ethnic. You you want that on your card. You know, just for the simple fact of drawing that crowd 
You know, you want your Mexican guy, you want your black guy, you know, to to draw that crowd. And and absolutely and and this guy, uh he he is he's doing some pretty decent houses up around Nashville and it's just about it's pretty much all all the lucha guys. On the other end of the spectrum from Lucha Libre, Japanese wrestling in the last probably five to eight years has really exploded in the U.S. to the point that New Japan Pro Wrestling not only has television on an American network, but they can do standalone shows within the United States now. What do you think of the emergence of Japanese wrestling in the United States. I, uh, uh, real, uh, real quick, you could, uh, but first you just made me think of, uh, have you talked to or seen, uh, Sigmund and Elliot Russell, the heat seekers, really good tag team. Uh, uh, both of them live around Tennessee. I know the name. I'm a little familiar, but not like greatly so. Uh, they were uh, well. One one thing they've done. They uh, not too long ago they were NWA tag team champions for a little while, and uh, it just made me think of it because you mentioned it. Uh, they did uh, shot not too long ago one of those standalones you was talking about for for New Japan. Uh, they did it in North Carolina. They went in for them. And uh, and to answer your question, uh, you know, I love it because I always liked, you know, growing up and everything. I mean, you might find if you got ten people together, you know, that which at the at the time, you know, like I was, that was just a a fan that didn't know anything about the inside workings of the business. If you were to get Ten people like that together and see what they thought. You might find three out of the group that would be like me that would sit there watching WrestleMania seven and perk up and oh, this is cool. You know when the Japanese it was uh, oh it was it was Jinrico Tenru and who was it that teamed with him against. Uh, against demolition at WrestleMania. Uh Katow. But that's uh, yeah, I believe that's right. And cuz uh, cuz Vince had that working relationship uh with New Japan at the time and they came over and did WrestleMania. And like I say, you know, the majority of your fans you know that was probably sitting there that night in the Los Angeles sports arena might've been scratching their head a little bit like, but I thought it was really cool because I thought it was neat when these guys from the other countries came over. Absolutely. For sure. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show today and I want to make sure that there is plenty of time for you to, Say anything you would like to say, plug anything you would like to plug, social media, merchandise, upcoming shows, your favorite seafood restaurant, whatever you would like, floor is all yours. 
Oh, well, first of all, uh, one thing uh, coming up, I believe I touched on it a little bit right before we went on the air, and uh, there is uh, Showtime All-Star Wrestling is making their comeback starting this Saturday. Uh, It's looking like we're going to be looking at at least once a month up in Nashville at the Texas Troubadour Theater. Real nice venue up there, real good place, beautiful building. And uh, they're going to be making their comeback there. Uh, I will most likely be refereeing that. Uh, That was what I usually did for them. And that's going to be this Saturday. I believe bell time is 7.30. And uh, other than that, I've been spending quite a time quite a bit of time uh if you look up uh i forget the exact address of the building but if you look up uh high voltage pro is in hansville alabama i've been spending quite a bit of time there uh, i'm wrestling there and that is every week uh if anybody happens to Anywhere around that area happens to be, uh, feel free to join us every time, any time, any week, Saturday night. That's a 7.30 bell time. And uh, as far as uh, throwing one out there for the restaurants, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but whatever town you might go to, if you find you the good Mexican restaurant, you got it going on. That's my favorite. Very nuts. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. We will definitely have you to bet. do Enjoyed this again. It. Well, we will definitely have you back, and I want to wish you the best of luck as you continue on. And you got the show next Saturday, so best of luck with that. I appreciate that very much. Enjoyed being on with you. All right, fans, get out there, support Anthony. If he's wrestling, refereeing, or anything else on the show, go out and support him and what he does. Find yourself some local independent pro wrestling. Get out there and give it a shot. We will be back with you next week. Next Friday afternoon, we have referee Aaron Greider with us. And one week from this very day, we kick off Super Fan Month with David Wills. So you'll definitely want to be here for the return of David Wills. Everybody stay safe out there, and we will talk to you soon.